I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Hi, everybody. Welcome to IntroVets <laughs> Podcast. Today we have another very special guest. We have Elena Graves, a licensed veterinary technician with us today. Yay! Elena started out working as a kennel assistant while attending college at Auburn University. Gradually, she worked her way up to becoming a veterinary assistant. And then following graduation from Auburn with a degree in animal science, she relocated to Huntsville, Alabama, where we live. And it was in Huntsville, while working as a veterinary assistant, that her office manager at the time encouraged Elena to obtain her licensed veterinary technician credentials. LVT is the designation here in Alabama. Elena graduated from Jefferson State Community College and obtained her license in 2016. She is now lead ICU LVT at Huntsville Veterinary Specialist and Emergency. She also serves as the secretary for the Alabama Veterinary Technician Association. Elena's goal is to earn her veterinary technician specialty in internal medicine. Elena, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, now, um, we all know each other because we've all worked with each other before. Uh, <laughs> so this will be, I'm sure, pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. When when y'all uh, emailed me about, about this opportunity, I was pretty, pretty ecstatic about it, for sure. So you're not only I've been a rock star LVT, you've also been a super active member of the Veterinary Technician Association for Alabama, and you're a supporter of the Veterinary Nurse Initiative. Tell us about that and what being in the licensed veterinary technician means to you. The first thing that I really love about being an LVT is the letters behind my name. Uh, it makes me feel pretty important. That was pretty cool to see. Um, I love animals. I have a real passion for it. And I loved working in this industry. Now, Elena, when we were chatting a little bit before the podcast, you mentioned that providing that top A-plus gold star plan standard of care is really uh, something that you're very passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think every animal deserves to have that kind of care. I know that I would want that whenever I go to a hospital or to a doctor's office. I would want to make sure that I'm getting the best care that I can get. And I think that translates into veterinary medicine as well. Whether it be as simple as um, wellness care or as complicated as like a critically ill patient in the ICU, which is what I deal with a lot. For example, yeah. <laughs> dealing with a post-op splenectomy that I had to do, um, it required a blood transfusion and a plasma transfusion. And it was maintained on fentanyl CRI for pain management. And it had what we like to call in veterinary medicine, uh, the tree of life in front of its kennel. <laughs> you know? To explain the tree of life really quickly for, for those, because uh, we have some we have some listeners who actually aren't involved in medicine in any way, and they're just interested. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, the tree of life is basically a lot of um, fluid bags mm -hmm. that contain different medications and then a bunch of pumps that control all of those 
Yeah, you know it's really bad if you have to have like two IV stands. Like, yeah, mm. yeah. This patient had four IV pumps, and it was, and it, there was so much going on. It was a small patient. It was in a small kennel. All right, mm. and it got to a point where it was like, there's so much going on. We need a bigger kennel. That way, there's more space on the doors for all these IV pumps that we got <laughs> going to, on. Just yeah. to manage the supportive care, we need more space. Oh, and the beeping. I, Absolutely. Oh, God, the beeping. The beeping. Uh, y'all, that is, I dream about that constantly. Yeah. It is, it is really, really bad. Oh, no. Yeah, it's really bad. Because well, I work in the ICU and there's two different types of pumps there, too. So, and it's gotten to the point that certain beeps, when you first start and you don't know what certain beeps are, all it, all you hear is like, beep, beep, beep. But now it's gotten to the point where I hear certain beeps and I'm like, that one needs a battery or it just needs a plug or that one, <laughs> yep. that one, it means the transfusion is done or uh, there's air in the line. Oh, there's an occlusion. Like it's gotten to that point where I know exactly what that IV pump is, <laughs> is beeping about. I should really shouldn't pride myself on that. Well, no, <laughs> that, I, I think it's important. That never goes away either. A year plus uh, being away from it and I'll hear a beep and I'm like, nah, the pump. Even though I'm like, I'm supposed to be listening for a phone, but I'm like, mm, pump. I'm like paging. Excuse me, pump, pump. Somebody <laughs> fix that, please. Pronto. Cause, uh, anxiety. <laughs> yeah. That, that definitely gets my anxiety a little bit, but I work in the ICU. So I'm dealing with pumps every single day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Elena, how do you think the licensing process prepared you to deal with the high level of care that you're providing now compared to being an unlicensed assistant? I think it gave me the tools that I needed in order to be prepared for these critically ill patients. I know what to really look out for, um, not just vital signs, making sure that they're warm or, you know, that they're comfortable, but also how are they feeling? Like, how do we need to manage their pain if they're in pain? How do we need to manage you know, nausea. So you know more how to respond to changes in the vitals and things like that. Exactly. So like if something was wrong with the patient and and I could use the education that and the experience that I've gained in order to appropriately act or respond to what is currently going on and see if it's something that I can handle and not necessarily get the veterinary involved. We would definitely notify and be like, hey, this is going on. But if it's something that I can do or that I can control, I think that's an advantage for LVTs to do or credentialed veterinary technicians to do. And it's less stress on the veterinarian because, you know, they already go through a lot of stress. They got a lot of charting to do. They've got other patients to see and so forth. So I like to kind of think of it as having that education and that knowledge gives you more of the wise to things. Cause I mean, anybody can look at a number. I'm like, okay, blood pressure is 120. Well, what does that number mean exactly? And when you have that education, you know what it means, you know what the normal ranges are and you know, if it's good, bad, or maybe I need to tweak the IV pumps. So you can just say, Hey doc, my blood pressure is blah. Do you want me to do a, um, you know, quick bolus or no, or, you know, that sort of thing. So it kind of helps the doctor concentrate on what they're doing for longer. So that's kind of one of the, I feel like the benefit of the LVTs are versus an assistant. 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point. You know, if we're tweaking something to help the blood pressure, there's so much more involved into what goes into blood pressure. I want to listen to the heart. I want to make sure that we're not having abnormal rhythms. Um, We're not having any VPCs or anything that would um, contribute to blood pressure. And if that's the thing, then we need to treat that, right? Or mm-hmm. yeah, it, maybe it has low blood pressure and we want to increase that by increasing the IV fluid rate, but then we can't because say it has a heart murmur, you know, and we can't do that. So it's that kind of thinking that I've gained through education and through experience that makes me have an advantage And that's really important. We need to not only understand this is what we do in these situations, but why we do them. You have to kind of think like a veterinarian. Now, you're not going to have all the education that a veterinarian has. But the great thing about being a licensed technician is that you do have that education and you do have that basic understanding of how things work. And not only can you you know, follow the treatments that the veterinarian asks of you to do, but you can actually have a conversation with them. For example, I love having a conversation with my surgical veterinarian. In the morning, she comes in and I give her updates on these patients and I tell her, hey, this patient's really nauseous. Is it okay if we give some serenity and so forth? And she's like, yeah, that's totally fine. Do you think it's like the uh do you think it's the IV pain medication and I say yeah I think so um you know hydro can kind of make them nauseous what if we do you think we could change it to oral medication as as well and 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 usually she'll be like yeah let's do that and see if it makes a difference so it's it's more of a conversation rather than me going to the veterinarian and being like what do you want me to do and then she just tells me what to do if that makes sense so more of a collaborative process than than just following orders. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Gotcha. I can see how that would be really rewarding. Mm-hmm. It, oh, yeah. I, it definitely makes me feel important and that I'm contributing to the care of that patient. And, and, and that is rewarding for me. And um, in these critical ill patients, it's really rewarding to notice something that is really important, address that with my veterinarian and us collaborating, like collaborating on a plan for this patient in order for um, her, him to get better. And I, and I love that process. And I love if that process works out for the better. And I love going through that and, and the enjoyment that I get from when uh, the patient does well and, and gets to go home. As a veterinarian, uh, I can say that it's always a real stress buster for me to have an experienced and well-trained technician on my team because I can just worry just a little bit less, uh, especially if we've been working together for a while and we kind of know, you know, we kind of get on a continuum of like, eh, you think, yep, I do think, yep, okay, all right, all right. and then we can <laughs> like even just like uh, mentally agree on a plan even. <laughs> mm-hmm where we start to anticipate wh- what the other person needs and wants and everything. So uh, as a veterinarian, that's a really valuable relationship for me too. And one that's made much easier when the technician has achieved 
you know, licensed status and has the educational background, it's much easier, I think, to to have that. And, and I think that it probably increases the amount of work that I'm able to do uh, because I can delegate so much more. And then I think that most likely carries over into helping with profitability of the veterinary hospital. Yeah, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. um, we, I think AVMA the American Veterinary Medical Association back in like 2015 or 16 or something like that, they had done some research and I actually pulled it off of their website not too long ago. They stated that a licensed veterinary technician contributes over $93,000 to top line revenue growth at a veterinary practice compared to only $6,000 for an uncertified or an untrained veterinary technician, which is astounding, Mm -hmm. astounding. And I love that statistic so much just because you, if you gain that profitability in your clinic, there's so much more that you can do as a veterinary practice versus not having a credential technician. So, Lena, if you had to explain to the, as I like to call them, civilians or the general public, (laughs) (laughs) pedestrians, the non scrub wearing (laughs) uh, type people, Exactly what a licensed veterinary technician does. Uh, How would you go about doing that? I really love to tell people my title is a licensed veterinary technician, but I refer my job as a veterinary nurse. And as soon as you say nurse, people automatically understand exactly what you do. Because they know what human nurses do. And we're, we're pretty equivalent to what human nurses do. We anesthetize. We're phlebotomists. We're radiologists. Um, we're lab technicians. We do all of those things. We're, we do all of that. And I've had so many interactions with clients that, like, I, I'll come in and I'll be like, hi, my name's Elena. Uh, I'm your veterinary technician today and so forth. And um, you know, at the end of the appointment or so on, they'll be like, oh, so um, when are you going to vet school? Or <laughs> oh, your job must be so nice. You get to play with puppies and kittens all day. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, that grinds my gears so <laughs> much. I'm like, what do you think I do back here all day? Do you think I just snuggle with your pet all day and that that's what I do? Or yeah, that's, yeah, that, that definitely grinds my gears the most. I really, I think the best way to educate the public is to either do, shat, have shadowing opportunities for high school or college students, because a lot of them don't know, they, they understand what a veterinarian is, but they don't necessarily know uh, the ins and outs of a veterinary practice. Our clinic in, in Huntsville, we love having high school students come over and and shadow what we do on a daily basis. And we actually had last year a group of high school students come and tour the facility. And uh, my manager put me in charge of that, which I love, love doing. I think one of my favorite things to do is to educate people on on this profession. And I went over you know, everything that I do on a daily basis, everything that um, my fellow colleagues do, what my veterinarians do. And a lot of them were really surprised on how hands-on the 
veterinarian technicians were and how hands off the veterinarians were. They primarily saw that the veterinarians weren't the ones putting in IVs. They weren't the ones running anesthesia. For example, we're, we're a surgical practice. My veterinarian, my surgeon comes in and tells us um, what he would like, how the patient would like to be positioned and so forth. And then he or she heads off to the office and she does her thing, you know, whatever they do. And <laughs> us, you know, and um, us as veterinary technicians, um, I have, uh, we have an anesthetist, multiple anesthetists that are in charge of making sure that the patient is in an adequate field of anesthesia. We have ORTs or operating room technicians that are in charge of prepping the patient and making sure that the OR room is, is uh, ready to go. And they're the ones that prep that patient, push that patient into the OR room get that all set up. And then here comes the, you know, the surgeon gets all into its gown and everything, gets gloved up and makes the cut. And once he or she is done, leaves. And we as technicians take the patient on out, place it in its kennel, attach it to whatever IV fluids and annoying pumps that needs to be attached to this patient. And we handle all of that. And they were so surprised at how much we do. And I had so many of those students asking about, you know, what I, what I had to do in order to get to where I'm at. And I told them everything as far as like education goes and, and that we go through a lot as technicians in order to be where we're at. I had to go through an AVMA veterinary technician program. I had to pass boards. And in order to keep your license in Alabama, you have to you have to have eight hours of continued education, um, which is a lot. Um, not a lot of states require that. And um, so it's a lot in order to do what we do. And I don't think they really realize how much we do in the veterinary practice. Yeah. And, you know, being in specialty practice, Things might be a little bit different than in private practice, I would say, particularly in rural areas that haven't kind of caught up to the modern model of veterinary medicine as much. (laughs) Because certainly, uh, you know, I travel all over the place, but there are some places I go to where um, they don't have anyone else to put in IVs or take radiographs or anything like that. And it's me. So me as the veterinarian. So instead of diagnosing, treating and making notes, I'm also doing all of the jobs of the technician as well. And it makes it really difficult. So I love it when I go to clinics where they have uh, veterinary technicians that are well-trained and I can just say, I really think that this patient needs this, this, and this, but I'm not sure about this and I need to look it up. And they're like, we're on it. And so while I'm researching the case, by the time I come back in 10 minutes, they already have a, B, C, and D done, and I just have to worry about E. <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> it's so nice. Right. And like in the rural settings, like you were talking about, you know, there's not very many hmm. credentialed veterinary technicians out there. There's not enough. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we get, as AVTA, we, we, we put advertisements up for um, local clinics, um, that way people can go to our website and see what positions are open and so forth. 
And there's just an influx of so many positions that are open and not enough technicians that are out there. Um, and I, I think that's another thing that is so important about educating the general public and realizing that this is a career path. We're not assistants. We're not, you know, I mean, yes, I mean, we are holding the patient for the veterinarian, but that's not just what we do. We do so much more and we can do so much more for our veterinarians. And I think if we educate the public for what there is to offer in this career path, more people will want to do this, I guess. Yeah. I I think that's important in addition to making sure that we can provide a sustainable salary and benefits for all of our veterinary technicians. I think it, you're going to continue to see low numbers of people joining the ranks of veterinary technicians and still have a major supply and demand problem until we majorly adjust how veterinary technicians are compensated. Preach. Which it is going to require <laughs> a systemic overhaul of the entire way that veterinary clinics have historically been run. I mean, that's what it's going to take. And that's why I think there's been so much resistance and people saying, but we can't afford it. And it's like, well, you can either afford it or not have the help you need. So those are the two choices that you have. Yeah. And I think, yeah, people are going to, you know, have to start adapting, start paying veterinary technicians a living wage and providing them good benefits. Because, what I mean, all of us love animals, but let's be real. If we didn't have to work every day to make a living, would we? <laughs> like, I mean, I, maybe when I was younger, but now that I'm, uh, <laughs> now that I've seen some shit, like I'm like, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know that I would go to work every day. Not every day if I didn't have to for you know money. So like, mm-hmm. we have to start offering people money in a way to live that's sustainable. Hey, yeah, you hire a veterinary technician, and you're going to get that growth in order to afford them. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you can um, expand the work of one of one veterinarian. I mean, so so much that you're those numbers you were saying. The licensed technician contributed over ninety three thousand dollars to the gross revenue, but only six thousand dollars for each unlicensed assistant. <laughs> I mean, hell, ninety three thousand dollars. Now, you have to take your costs out of that, too, okay? You got to remember that's just that's just gross revenue, not net. There's a difference between those things. But somewhere in there, you could find this, a very nice salary for a veterinary technician, right? You could. You could find a nice place to, to have the staff on good benefits. Instead of hiring a veterinarian for every single technician that you have, that's not going to work out. <laughs> you know, what we need to be looking at is hiring more veterinary technicians for every vet to make the vets more efficient. Uh, and I think that's really the future. People are going to have to start adapting or it's just not going to work out. Yeah. I mean, the average, if you have a a technician who's single, unmarried, mm-hmm. working on general practice salary, very rarely are they able to afford a place to live and a car payment without a second job. Right. Very or, rarely. Or assistance programs. Yeah. I mean, how many credentialed veterinary technicians do I personally know of that work more than one job and also are on government assistance programs like WIC because they just don't make enough to mm-hmm. 
I mean, they're not making a living wage. And I think those programs are super important. And there's nothing wrong with utilizing those programs if you need them. As a veterinarian, I feel that we have to do better for our staff. You know, a veterinary technician shouldn't have to have two, three jobs and also assistance to make it. Like, one job should be okay. Like, that should be enough. <laughs> yeah. And if we can't pay them well enough, what does that say about the model? Yeah. The I business mean, model that we're clinging to with our, you know, <laughs> you can pry my nails. old business model out of my cold, <laughs> dead hands, I think is what a lot of people are saying. But I like, mean, technicians go to school. I mean, they, they're getting educated. They're, they, they put the time, the money, and the effort into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easier if you're able to, you know, find someone that you're, you can be married to that makes a good living. You can, if, I, I, I kind of find that that allows people to stay maybe into the, the career for longer. But that's one of the reasons why the numbers are low, too, is that most people don't stay in the career for but maybe three <laughs> to five years. And then they're like, I, I can't make it on this. Yeah, I got to yeah. find something else. I don't think that. Um, we can continue to rely on that <laughs> as a business model. It's not a no, sustainable, like no. our business model should not be marrying off veterinary technicians no, to rich I people. Mean, <laughs> I know that's not what you were saying. I'm talking to all the practice owners out there. Okay. Yeah. Like if we're, if we're counting on, if we're counting on our young professional staff to marry well, like that's a sign that you got to reevaluate your business. Okay. <laughs> the job is demanding. And I mean, if I had to get, more than one job now on top of you know back when i was doing technician stuff i'm like i'm too old for that <laughs> i can't i can't do it in a mile there's so much turnover in this profession and it's so sad to see i know that i was working three jobs myself when i was a kennel assistant at auburn and i think i made more money working at the bar than i did actually at the veterinary clinic you know, I, I moved up a little bit as one of the veterinary assistants, but I basically took classes during the day and then I worked from like two to close as a veterinary assistant. And then starting at about nine or 10 o'clock at night, I'd walk over to the bar and I wasn't a bartender. I was, you know, just the, the door girl. Like a hostess. The, yeah. the, the door girl that took your money in order to get in. And the bouncer, I was, or I would be. <laughs> it's like the least intimidating bouncer. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. maybe the most intimidating bouncer. Ever. It depends on how provocatively I was dressed. In oh. <laughs> oh no! But um, yeah, I made I made more at the bar than I than I did at the clinic, and it was only because yeah. I had such a passion for that profession that I stayed in this profession, um, that I stayed and did a continuing education in order to get my license. I loved it so much. And I was lucky enough to be part of a clinic where they valued education. I think that's so important is that they value your education. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky to be part of that. And that's not seen in every single clinic. In the past year in Alabama, the uh, state board has sent out a notice to veterinarians and veterinary hospitals that basically says, hey, people are using this word veterinary technician too loosely, and we have licensed veterinary technicians, but you you can't really go calling an unlicensed professional 
uh, a technician, you need to be calling them an unlicensed assistant. So the use of the word technician is like really is protected um, in veterinary practices under a law. And they kind of sent out a warning letter that was like, hey, like we haven't been enforcing this, but technically this is the law. And so we're going to start enforcing it. And we're going to give you like a little bit of time just a heads up. But like you got to make sure it's not in a uh, incorrect on your website, on your social media. Like these people don't need to be introducing themselves as a technician unless they are truly a licensed technician or else we're going to start fining the hospitals. I think we mentioned it on an earlier episode from last season. I thought that that was really interesting. Elena, what do you think about the nomenclature around veterinary technician, veterinary assistant, veterinary nurse? And what do you think about the uh, the state board going ahead and inf- starting to enforce those rules? It's about damn time. <laughs> <laughs> we've been we've been dealing with this for so so long and before I was even licensed, you know, they called me technician and I wasn't even licensed and I didn't understand the value of that title until I got my title. And it makes me very irritable to see clinics misuse that title. It's something that is stated in our uh, Practice Act. It's actually a protected title in the state of Alabama. Um, And it's a protected title, for example, in Tennessee. And Tennessee actually went this route, I think a year or two ago. um, And they... They were serious about it. There were clinics that were using the term technician and they went so far as to say, we are going to fine you $500 per offense. That means if a clinic said, we have three veterinary technicians and none of them are licensed, that is $500 per technician. That means $1,500 was fined for that clinic. And that's, I think that's important. I'm not going to go around saying that I'm a veterinarian because I know what's, you know, I, I know something about veterinary medicine. I'm not going to go say I'm a doctor. Uh, so it should be the same thing for other people within this profession. You can't say you're a technician unless you went through the education, unless you passed your boards, and unless you are within the continued education that you need to do in order to keep that license. I think it's really important. Elena, there's something called the Veterinary Nurse Initiative. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of a background to this is um, each state has their own laws and they call their credentialed technicians something different per state. For example, in the state of Alabama, you are called a licensed veterinary technician. If you are out in California, you're called a certified veterinary technician. And I believe in New York or North Carolina, they're, they're called registered veterinary technicians. And then in Tennessee, it's like licensed veterinary medical technician. It's a super long one. So all of us are called something different depending on where you're at. And I think the goal of the Veterinary Nurse Initiative is to promote a standard credential throughout the entire U.S. It's not just a name change. You know, some people think that it was, the goal of this is just to overall change our name to registered veterinary nurse, which I I would prefer over technician because it accurately describes what we do. But their goals are to promote standard credential, 
with education standards throughout the U.S., establishing a professional identity through public education via the title protection. Alabama is lucky enough that they have title protection, but they don't have title protection in Florida or in Montana or Utah. For example, in Montana, they don't have anything in their Veterinary Practice Act that says anything about what a non-credentialed person can and cannot do. So basically, a non-credentialed person can do whatever a credentialed person is because there's no laws stating that they can't. And, And that needs to be fixed. Florida is the exact same way. Here recently in Utah, actually, um, because of the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, the state board in Utah got with Veterinary Nurse Initiative to help them pass a bill to help title protection in that state. So it's not just changing the name. It's to overall promote this profession. I definitely am super in favor of using the term veterinary nurse. I agree 100% with you that it is more accurately descriptive of the licensed veterinary technician's duties. And I agree that the general public more easily recognizes the term nurse, you know, and, and then can say, ah, the nurse does all of these things. The doctor does all of these things, you know, and the assistant does these things, right? So if it were veterinarian, veterinary nurse and assistant, then that to me is just a much more obvious designation for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it would be great if we stopped piecemealing things among the states. We we do live in Alabama, which has actually a pretty comprehensive and strict Veterinary Practice Act compared to other states. I, I have not read all the Veterinary Practice Acts of every state, but that is what I hear. And in some ways, that's good. And in some ways, it's not good. But <laughs> The fact that they require continuing education for veterinary technicians, I think, is fantastic. I would love to see kind of a coming together on the national level to sort of streamline those those processes a little bit more. I think that that, that's a great idea uh, to tighten up the language. I think there's a lot of benefits. Yeah, and not only in the general public, but also within veterinary medicine itself. Maybe the new veterinarians, but I know that the older veterinarians you know, sometimes they don't take full advantage of what we can do. And I think we would like that professional recognition. And that's another goal of the VNI is making sure that we clarify our value and our scope of practice within veterinary medicine. And upon doing that, we can also expand our career potentials, what we can do outside of, say, a a normal general practice or a specialty or emergency. There's so much more that we can do than just be you know, a nurse in, in a clinic setting. And I think that's another goal that the VNI is trying to to get out there. And that's really important. It's important Definitely. and exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm old. I remember when we barely were like, okay, we're a technician. Please recognize that, that that's a thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I mean, I remember when I first got out, like, Nobody had licensed veterinary technicians, like nobody. And people were scared to get them. Like, oh, you're going to come in and say you know everything. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm just saying that I know some things. And I'm all about learning more from you guys. You know, give me the opportunity and also trust that there are things that I can do that maybe not everybody that you're used to working with can. So give me a chance. And 
they didn't really buy into it until I catheterized that female dog. And then they were like, oh, oh, you can do some, you, you can do some shit. Okay. And mm-hmm. after that, they, they let me put in IV catheters instead of holding the dog while they did it. I'm like, let me have somebody to help me do this while you prep your stuff for surgery. We can make this go faster. This is just a another step in the right direction, I feel like, in, in growing the field as a whole. Have you guys ever had conversations with human medical professionals, like doctors or nurses, like they were your clients? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, there's like pros and cons to it, right? So <laughs> pro is like, you can talk to them without having to put it in muggle terminology. <laughs> Lay- layman's terms. <laughs> layman's terms. Mm-hmm. We are wizards. That's true. Exactly. I mean, I was talking to a client the other day that was uh, a nurse practitioner about their dog. And she said, oh, you, you, you can say medical terminology if you want to. And I was like, great. Perfect. That kind of shortens the amount that I talking that I had to do. And at the end of that conversation, she's like, wow, you, you sound like you know what you're doing. And I was like, yeah, I, I hope I do. I really <laughs> would like to. And she's like, so why do they call you a technician? Aren't you, it sounds like you're like a nurse, you know? And that's not the first time that I've heard that before. And it's kind of complicated trying to tell them about, well, this is what's going on in the veterinary professional world. You know, there's the VNI and so forth. We're kind of, we're kind of behind the times. I think they had the title of nurse on the human side back in the 1800s or something like that. (laughs) Now we're in the uh, early 2000s or, and, and we're just coming up with this now or, or enforcing this now. So we we really need to catch up with the times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. The VNI has a lot of sponsors. So they have a lot of people that are behind it. Uh, I know that uh, Alabama Veterinary Technician Association is uh, definitely in support of the VNI. There's multiple veterinary technicians in the United States that are in support of it. I know that Purdue University has a veterinary technician program, and they actually changed their program name to Veterinary Nursing Program because they were so in favor of the Veterinary Nurse Initiative. So, Elena, you had an article published, and that's one of the main reasons that we wanted to have you on the podcast because I think that that article resonated really strongly with a lot of people. You know, of course, with me having worked with you before, and obviously I personally know Christine, the office manager, she's actually been on the podcast before, who you talk about in that article as being really instrumental in encouraging you to pursue licensing. So when I read it, I was like, girl, and I sent her the link to it, you know, and everything. I was so (laughs) excited because it's really heartwarming when you when you know that an organization that you've been involved in has really made a difference in someone's life. You know, we wanted to have you on the podcast to kind of discuss that article and and maybe also just the importance of leadership in the veterinary community and mentorship in the veterinary community. How impactful was it that Christine took the time to pull you aside and talked with you about furthering your education? Like incredibly impactful. Um, I, 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 writing this journal, like writing this article and thinking about the interactions that I had with Christine um, pulled out a lot of emotions for me, for sure. It was very emotional writing this because 
if it wasn't for her, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's because of people like Christine that really create a leader, create somebody that is passionate in whatever career that you're in or whatever profession that you're in. It, it definitely, uh, it hit home writing this article for sure. I'm going to go over the background kind of of this, of this article um, because it's not something that I, that I sought out. I have to give a shout out to my ABTA vice president, Haley, um, because she's the one that actually told me that I needed to write something uh, for this. Um, when the Alabama State Board came out with this newsletter describing the difference between a licensed technician and an assistant, we were really excited about it. And we posted that on our social media page. And to our surprise, we got negative feedback. Not a whole lot, huh. but, but some. That's interesting. Yeah, it was really surprising and it caught us off guard and it really fueled our passion to promote the credentialed veterinary technician. People who do big things, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing or why, what your motivations are. If you're trying to do big things and make big changes, you're going to have haters. Right. So that's normal. So the fact that you got got negative feedback probably just means that you're doing something worthwhile, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) So I just wanted to tell you that. Yep. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, we we totally... Time out over, back to the podcast. I mean, we realized that too. I mean, we okay. We, we had we actually contacted Ken Yagi, who is the head of VNI, about this situation. Okay, and, and he was like, I "Don't bat an eye to it. It's normal." <laughs> yeah. So haters gonna hate. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So Haley had actually contacted me because she knows how much I love this profession and how much I want to promote veterinary technicians. And she had said that the VNI had actually contacted her and due to other engagements, she couldn't do it and asked if I could. And me not really having a good English background, you know, writing background, I was like, sure. And I struggled for the longest time thinking, what am I going to write about? Like, how am I going to help people understand what the difference between a licensed technician is and one that is not credentialed. And I had to think back to my own experiences and how my experience is completely different compared to to others. And that's how the article came about. I was lucky enough to have Christine as an office manager who recognized how passionate I was, how much influence that I could have and and recognized my potential and wanted me to realize where I could go, how far I could go. And I so appreciate that. I didn't know what credential technicians were. I didn't know that was a thing. And they actually called me technician at the previous clinic that I used to work at. And I, I come work for Christine and she says that I'm an assistant. And I was like, what? What? No, I, I've been working in a veterinary clinic for at least like four to five years. I like, I know what I can do, blah, blah, blah. I'm a, I'm a technician. And it kind of bugged me there when I, when I first started. And it wasn't until I got into tech school that I realized, yeah, it's really important to notate what the difference is and to respect that. And I thank Christine every single day 
to help me realize that. And she was one that actually respected that title. And therefore, I respect that title. I love that title. So I, I wanted to kind of encourage people to encourage their colleagues to go get an education to get their license. There are so many people that are on the job assistants and they think there's no point in me going to school. Like I'm just going to spend all that money on school and I'm not going to get much out of it. I'm not going to have a higher pay wage or anything like that. Or there was a conversation that I had with one of my coworkers who is currently in in school um, getting her tech license. And she said that she her goal is to get a bachelor's degree and she's currently in an associate's um, program. And I said something and I regret it. And I was like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you should do that. I mean, there's not much of a difference. And about 10 to 15 minutes later, I was thinking, I was like, why the hell did I say that? Why did I say that? And I went back to her and I was like, I take back everything that I said you want to go get your bachelor's degree, you want more education, you should do it. Like, I don't see why we should have this mentality of not educating our our staff members. So um, sorry to her. Shout out to her. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please go get your bachelor's degree. Yeah. If you, hey, if you want to do it, go do it. I mean, that's everything in life. Like if if there's something that you really want to do, like, don't wait. Do it now. Life is short. Just do it right now. Just go do it. Stop talking about it. Just do it right now. Yeah. And I think we need to change that mentality in, in veterinary clinics. I feel that our practice managers and owners really need to encourage, if they see potential from a person, like, tell them to do it. We have so many in our practice. We love the fact that our workers want to go further. I think we have two assistants that graduated college and they hadn't gotten into vet school. And we kept pushing to make sure that they kept up with their grades and so forth and do good, like go interview, go apply if you really want to do this. And both of them are currently in in vet school, which I absolutely love. I have two other assistants that are currently in tech school right now and they come in on their off days they do the videos that they need to do and we do whatever we can to help them out and and I love that about our clinic um, and that's probably why we work so damn well together because we really encourage each other to do the best and, and go for it and, and I think veterinary clinics need to do that I think if you are investing in your workers, that investment is going to come out on the positive. Like like we said earlier, if you invest in these people that want to be licensed, what, what would we say? 93000 Yeah, over $90,000. Exactly. I'm not saying like pay for their education, but help them out, you know? It's because of Christine that helped me take videos. It's because of you, Dr. Greider, and coming in on your off day just to proctor one of my examinations. You know, it's it's that type of dedication to helping each other out that 
I am where I'm at. It's and and I have to give a, a huge big shout out to you too. To both of y'all. Y'all were really, really important in getting to where I'm at, not only Christine. So oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna get all teary eyed if I keep Okay, talking well about let's that. not cry on the podcast. That's not the <laughs> listeners are gonna be like, What's happening? Stop with didn't log on to be depressed. <laughs> So, Elena, uh, let's talk about how being a licensed veterinary technician can sometimes get us other opportunities other than just general practice. There's so much that you can do with your license. If you're sick of being in a clinical practice, in a general practice, there's so much more that you can do. Uh, That's one thing that I did is, um, you know, I kind of got bored in a general practice setting. I got bored with vaccines and the routine thing, the routine educating the clients about heartworm and flea prevention and so forth. Oh, and right. um, yeah, it yeah it, it gets it gets in a routine. Re- yeah, repetitive. It gets really repetitive. I mm-hmm. and I wanted I wanted to do something new, and I decided, hey, I'm gonna jump in the deep end and go into emergency veterinary medicine. <laughs> <laughs> and whoa, uh, that was a whirlwind. But it, it, I think it created even more of a passion. Um, and I really love doing that. It's something different every day. You never know what's going to come in. And it's it's really exciting. If you're one of those that is doesn't want exciting, that doesn't want unpredictableness, which I completely understand. Um, yeah, that's valid. <laughs> I just want to step in. Yeah, Let's yeah, see. yeah. That's totally valid. <laughs> but you don't want to work in a general practice. There's There's other things that you can do. A friend works in shelter medicine. Uh, She works for the Greater Birmingham Humane Society and she works in shelter medicine, which is a whole nother world, a whole nother world. There's so much that goes into that. And if you if you have a big heart and patience, that is a good field to get into. Uh, There's not that many that go into that field. And it's 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 a field that's doesn't get enough credit for sure. I got a friend down in Auburn who heads up the the surgical department over there. So she's kind of in charge of actually the soft tissue. Um, so she's she's down there and works in academia and works with veterinary students. I've got some friends that are actual teachers. So say that's something that I kind of thought about doing too. If you know when I'm too old to lift dogs or too decrepit or whatever, I've thought about going into. <laughs> Going into education, that's definitely another passion of mine is, is um, educating the next generation of technicians, um, corporate. So if you didn't want to be in a private practice and you wanted to work in corporate, such as like Banfield or Blue Pearl or BCA, I think that's a really cool opportunity too. There's a lot of benefits that come from corporate that you don't see in, in private practice. Um, if you wanted to be in specialty, say you want to do something like surgery, you want to do anesthesia, there's a specialty for that. Um, there's internal medicine, there's neurology, there's dermatology. If, if, if you want to deal with skin every day, I don't want to deal with skin every day. And um, <laughs> if you loved different kinds of animals, you, you want to do exotic, there's a, a field for that. You can go into zoo animals. You want to work at a zoo? Go for it. There's not enough people that do zoo animal. Or say you just don't want to do any of the nursing stuff. You can go into sales. 
because of your education background, a lot of companies value that education because you can talk to, you know, people, um, clients about that kind of stuff. For example, IDEX um, or Patterson or MWI that, that sells a lot of products. I actually, <laughs> I have family over in Europe and um, I, there was one time where I actually saw an opportunity to work with IDEX in the Netherlands. And that was really, really tempting. Um, yeah. <laughs> really, really tempting. Um, and speaking of travel, I mean, you can be a travel technician. I follow one vet tech without scrubs who goes to Thailand and she works with exotic animals out there. And that's really cool. Yeah. There's so much that you can do. There's so much. You just have to, you just have to look for it and, um, connecting with the right people. And I think, uh, social, if you're good with social media, that's a great way to connect with those people for sure. And LinkedIn, if you want to go that route. I think the career opportunities are really diverse uh, in veterinary medicine. Exploring your opportunities, I think, for professional growth is just really important. And there's so many in this field. All right, guys. So to round out our episode, what is a good thing that's happened recently? JJ, what's, uh, what's, what's your good thing? I got my garage cleaned out. Ooh, that's a job. Mm-hmm. Girl, that is a job. And it it didn't take as long as I thought it was going to take. I mean, we were Mm -hmm. done by lunchtime and we got started at like eight and we're done by lunchtime. Did it give you a feeling of deep, intense satisfaction to have it like clean and organized? Yeah. And in fact, Mm -hmm. I'm so used to when I start a project, I usually get about halfway done and then I I quit. And (laughs) then it's just a mess for about three weeks. And then I'm like, all right. Ben's going to kill me if I don't get this done. And then I just kind of like, at that point, the perfectionist has turned into um, sabotage and I just throw it all back in there and it's not done. And then it bothers me again. So I kept thinking, oh, I still have to go out there and finish that. No, I don't. It's done. So it was it was quite nice. Ben and I worked great together as a team and got it handled. And now you can walk around the garage without without any obstacles and i mean it's 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 happy in there and we got all the spiders out well all that you can see anyway <laughs> are there hidden spiders still I mean, there they're t- probably are small ones but if they were in a if they were like behind a tiny door you were like yeah just close that door and leave the spiders in yeah yeah no, like y'all can <laughs> eat any mfws that may be lurking in the garage <laughs> that's y'all's job i don't do spiders eat wasps uh, if they do, they're I my friend. I guess if they land in a web, they would. Mm-hmm. Maybe the ones in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I think the ones in Australia eat everything. I know, right? Including people. We have listeners in Australia, believe it or not. So, you guys. God bless y'all. <laughs> yeah, listen. If you're in Australia right now and you're listening, please tell me what all Australian spiders eat. I've seen videos of some that are, you know, they'll run away with your shoe. So. Mm, that is upsetting. <laughs> I am not here for it. Nope. At all. No, no. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, let's see. Um, I finally got my garden plot that I've been working on finished. The one that I just got a wild hair and was like, meh, I'll just dig up my whole backyard (laughs) with a shovel by hand. Uh, That one. Finally. It only took me, uh, you know, three weeks of constant daily working to get it uh, done, but it is done. 
it's done and it's ready for planting. Pictures or it didn't happen. I'll send you pictures. <laughs> I have before pictures too, girl. Anyway, also pressure washed the back porch area and it is like making me so happy. Like I can't really describe the amount of joy that I get from things being clean and organized. It's just like, ooh, let me part the blinds and look at it. Oh, yes. Look how nice it is. Shiny. So, uh, so like, now everything is super cute. And I'm, like, planning a outdoor thing. Because, you know, we're coming out, coming out slowly of COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm fully vaccinated. I can start to have other fully vaccinated people over. So I'm thinking, like, garden party time. You know, <laughs> been a long time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Elena, what about you? Well, I had a baby last year and, you know, I couldn't ride my horse for the longest time. And it's been about two years since I've actually gone to a a horse show and I was competitive and I finally got to compete for the first time uh, a week ago. Woo! Yeah. So it was uh, nervous and, and exciting all at the same time. And I'm very lucky to have a horse that is extremely patient with me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for sure and and a, and a trainer that's also um so supportive and a husband that's really supportive of me <laughs> so I, I got to do that again for the first time since I since I had my baby and uh I'm I loved it I loved everything about it and uh, I can't I can't wait till the next one for sure that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah what's the horse's name colonel Colonel. Canadian okay. Colonel. Canadian Colonel. <laughs> You've been working with him for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I've yeah. Yeah, I've um I've kind of had him when he was four, four or five. And mm-hmm. we've had a very, very long uh up and down journey. And um he's 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 now a, a grown adult, you know? He's he's uh it, it's gotten to the point where I'm not taking care of him, he's taking care of me, which is fantastic. That man. That means that I did my job well. So, <laughs> Well, Elena, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. The article that Elena wrote, which is referenced in this episode, was published in the Journal of the National Association of Veterinary Technicians in America. And today we briefly discussed a few of the many career options that veterinary technicians have. We will post a more comprehensive list on our social media and links to this information in the show notes. Before we sign off, we'd like everyone to know that we've created a listener poll. We've created the poll to help us understand our audience better and to bring you the best content possible. If you wouldn't mind filling out the poll, we would really appreciate it. And you'll find the links to the poll on our social media accounts. If you have stories, cases for us to read, or anything else you'd like to submit to the podcast, Go ahead and send it via email to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media or on Facebook and Instagram. And it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.